Anti-Up is your poker magazine dedicated to the everyday player and their poker rooms. Pick up a free copy at your favorite poker room nationwide each month. But Anti-Up is much more than a magazine. Visit AntiUpMagazine.com daily for breaking news and each week download our award-winning poker cast. Join us on our action-packed poker cruises to exotic destinations. Anti-Up, it's your poker magazine. From the Anti-Up headquarters in Tampa Bay, Florida, it's the Anti-Up PokerCast. And now, here are two guys who think they know how to play poker, Chris Casenza and Scott Long. It's April 26, 2019. You're listening to the best poker cast on the planet. I'm Chris Casenza. And I'm Scott Long. So we have this sort of tradition somewhere in the company that when these poker cruises end, we uh, somehow end up at Waffle House, or you mostly end up at Waffle House with Ramsey, our poker room manager. And then, uh, but today is sort of an unprecedented day. A lot of firsts for us. Uh, so it's the first time we're ever actually doing the show the day the cruise ends. This has never happened before in the 10 years we've been doing cruises. I don't think we've ever ended a cruise on a Thursday before. So. Yeah, it's really bizarre. Um, so I had to go pick you up. And the other thing you didn't is that have to, but I appreciated that you did. Well, I mean, you know, if I wanted to keep our business and uh, but I so I I get there, I pick you up, and we're on the way home. I got Ramsey in the car, and I'm like, hey, so we'll do the show when I get home, but I'm gonna have to have breakfast first. And you're like, breakfast? Hey, why don't you join us at Waffle House? <laughs> now, normally I don't do it, although what the Aruba cruise when we were coming home from there, I stopped at a Waffle House on the way home. And then you stop at the same one. So we were actually technically we were in the same Waffle House eating breakfast, but we weren't together. So this is the first time we've ever had it together. And I got to tell you, Annie Up Nation, when I say that Scott and Ramsey are Waffle House friggin' pros, this is <laughs> verbatim, okay? This is Scott's, the waitress walks over the server, I'm sorry. This is Scott's order verbatim. All right, give me two embryos on a raft and wreck them with a couple of cremated strips, but make my steak still mooing and countryside it with chunks. <laughs> That's basically what Scott said to the server. She's like, okay, honey, what about for you? And I'm like, uh, um, eggs, eggs um, scrambled and toast? What kind of toast you want? Um, uh, white, wheat? I, I don't know. Is there a slang for it? Like, do I have to say, like, you know, I don't know, uh, make it rise until it burns. I have no idea. Scott knew all the lingo. He knew exactly what he wanted. And he didn't really like that Waffle House because it was too clean. Yes. He likes a dirty yeah. Waffle House. Waffle House has to be lived in, I think. <laughs> it felt lived in to me. I don't know about you, but <laughs> it's only the second time I've been there or third time I think in my entire life I've been to a Waffle House. But it was okay. It was fine. Breakfast was good. And the cruise went well, I guess. Well, um, first of all, you got to speak the Waffle House language. It's like going to a foreign country, right? You know, <laughs> you don't go to Italy and speak English there. You know, you you make the upper, right? So that's incredible. Got to got to know the lingo there. Incredible. Uh, but no, a fantastic cruise. I mean, we were talking this morning as we got up that I don't think we've had a smoother anti-up cruise um, ever, and this was number thirty-five or thirty-six or something. I don't know. I lost count now. But we've been doing it a long time, right? Right. Um. And uh, it did have a little rocky seas the first night, so the actual smooth sailing wasn't as smooth as it could have been, but not bad. 
Uh, but no, everything else, we had a great group coordinator. We got our equipment on easy. We got our equipment off easy this morning. Uh, no problems. We had a fantastic group of people that just had a lot of fun. Um, I, mean, I tell you, the laughter last night and the last night. It's always, the last night's always my favorite because at that point, everybody's made friends with everybody else and everybody knows everybody's backstory and they're all exchanging phone numbers and Facebook um, accounts and, uh, um, and just having a great time. I mean, usually they're having a good time from the beginning, but the last night is just one big laugh fest in there as everybody's joking with each other while they're trying to take each other's money. So, <laughs> um, so it was really good. And, and the fact that we um, – this was a little bit of a rare one for us too. We only had, I think, maybe four or six repeat passengers this time. I mean, usually – we sometimes get as many as 50% of our group is, is repeats. Um, so this is almost a brand new group for us. So a whole new set of friends that we made and hopefully a whole new set of uh, folks that are going to come back and join us um, in the future. I mean, most of them were already talking about coming on either our August cruise or October cruise coming up. So that would be great. But, yeah, you, you missed a good one, buddy. I'm sorry. I had some commitments I had to get. I couldn't get out of, uh, you know, throwing an egg around on Easter Sunday and, you know, hiding some eggs for kids. Uh, or on Saturday, and so just things I couldn't get away from, you know. But I'm glad you had a good time. I'm glad it was successful. I'm glad people had fun, and uh, you know, we're having two more coming up, so should be. Yeah, good. and see, you could have came on the cruise and helped me hide the Easter eggs instead of doing it at home. Because <laughs> uh, no, you know, obviously, folks that listen to the show know that uh, we are not the most religious of folks. I think it's probably pretty safe, right? Yeah. So I really, Easter was not on my radar at all, uh, particularly because I had that big trip to Italy, too. So I wasn't thinking about anything. So I literally banded back in, here in the States, had about 48 hours to get ready for the cruise. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, Easter Sunday. We're actually doing an Easter cruise. So ran to the Dollar Tree, got some eggs, got some chocolates, uh, packed my uh, bunny costume because, of course, I have one of those. And uh, Easter morning, we had a lot of fun. Uh, I dressed up and gave everybody an Easter egg. Uh, everybody got a little chocolate, and uh, some people got surprises too. So we made it work. I think we had some fun um, uh, for being on an Easter cruise. But as, as I told you this morning, too, um, we're never booking another one. Yeah. Darwin, bless all you parents out there because, wow, I have never been on a cruise with this many kids in my life. <laughs> The Easter holiday just brought all the families on and uh, uh, just not used to being around. I mean, uh, I don't have kids myself, so it's not like I'm in the uh, carpool lane or at the Little League games often enough to to, to acclimate myself <laughs> to the little ankle biters. But they were everywhere, Chris. Yeah, like I said to you, that, that, that was nothing compared to the two Disney cruises I went on because that's, that's – not only do you have just kids and no no casino – but then it's all Disney characters running around and Disney everything, and it's like I don't even like Disney. And then I'm on a cruise with a million kids, nowhere to go, gamble, nothing. Oh, it's brutal. So I know what you went through tenfold. Believe me. <laughs> I do have a question though. Uh, that pink bunny costume is that from a Christmas story or is that just yes. a pink? Oh, it is. Okay. The good thing is, is when I wear it during Christmas, people are like, "Why are you dressed like a bunny?" And I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> "Are you the only person on the earth that's not seen the Christmas story?" It's only on 24 uh, hours every Christmas. But then it works for Easter because then people don't think of it unless, of course, you've seen the movie. Then everybody's like, "Why are you wearing it now?" Yeah. It's supposed to be a costume. Can't win with it. I uh, I did not want to know where those eggs came from when I saw you in that outfit. So <laughs> I'm just glad I wasn't on the ship for that. Oh man! Well, a couple other things I want to mention too. First of all, I want to shout out to Rivers Casino in New York. This is the second cruise they sent um, ten passengers and their guests. And we had a really good group of folks from Rivers this time. They were a lot of fun. 
even got a PLO game going for about an hour <laughs> one night before they all went to the show. But uh, really do appreciate uh, Dave Grubb, the manager up there, uh, sending so many players. And he's going to send um, 10 more on our August cruise as well, too. So if you live anywhere near Schenectady, no, see, I always screwed up. It's close. It's D at the end, Schenectady. Yeah, okay. There, close, though. Though. You were really close, though. That's, you're getting better at this. You're anywhere close to there. Head on over there and try to win your way on our, our next cruise. Um, and obviously, uh, the, the players up there must be a lot of fun because they certainly were a lot of fun on our cruise. So, uh, The other thing, uh, it wasn't a lot of um, – I, I don't have any uh, a lot of play stories this time for you. I, I didn't play much. I just played the – you know, get the game started. I didn't have any long sessions uh, other than Chinese, which I was on a – Massive roller coaster where I was crushing uh, Herb and Ramsey, and then by the time it's time to settle up, I was somehow was giving them money. I don't know how that happens. Oh but, man! But did spend a lot of time at the tables. But um, you know, every cruise we do a um, survivor tournament, right? You know, where it's two hours. If you survive to the end, uh, you everybody that survives to the end splits the prize pool evenly. So right, matter, right. Yeah, just right. gotta make it to the end, right? Yep. Um, so one of the things about this particular group is they play the first couple tournaments, you know, the twenty dollar rebuy, which we always kick off. That went forever. They didn't uh, chop. Uh, they ended up playing a extended heads up, and I'm like, wow, these people came to play, right? But then after that, all of the tournaments move quickly. So like our main event, uh, I thought was going to be over really soon, um, ended up um, uh, going a little longer than I thought. But um, so the survivor though. There was a point during the Survivor, again, only two hours, so 15-minute levels, where I really was talking to some of the dealers. I'm like, this could end with everybody eliminated. <laughs> wow. I'm like, do we get to keep the money then? <laughs> you got to have uh, one Survivor. <laughs> <laughs> um, but as it got towards the end, they kept reminding me, you know, once you get closer to the time, then people start dragging their feet a little bit, and that's what happened. So they ended up with, um, I think, six players left on the last hand, right? And I know this would happen to me. I'm the Charlie Brown of poker, and I feel bad for uh, Les, the guy that happened to. Very last hand of the tournament, you know, because we're on the clock, so we let everybody know this is the last hand. He is in the big blind, and he has to be all in. He doesn't have any chips left. He can't even cover the big blind, right? And, of course, wait for it, eliminated. Oh, (laughs) man. He literally went the entire distance of the tournament and got nothing to show for it. You know, we always laugh about how you, when you bubble it, it's the worst thing in the world, right? Because you committed two, three, four, seven hours and 14 days if it's the main event and get nothing out of it. Right. But this is one of those rare opportunities where you've played the entire tournament. <laughs> no one played after you. <laughs> and you got nothing for it, and everybody else there got to split the prize pool. Oh, so, man. It's like getting mugged uh, in the parking lot. Yeah, good sport though. I would not have been as good a sport as he was. That's just that's so unfortunate, but uh, but fun. And the other thing too that we introduced uh, this cruise to, we and we meant to last cruise and we just uh, didn't. But uh, we did the big blind nanny for all of our tournaments this time. How did it go? It went really well. I mean, as far as I could tell. I mean, I, I, again, I didn't play any tournaments obviously, but I tried to walk around and and help out a lot. And I didn't hear um, any grumbling. Oh, I'm sure there might have been some because uh, some people weren't uh, quite used to it, but. Um, but other than that, I think people really enjoyed it. I mean, obviously, no one, if you don't know what it is, you never like paying two big blinds, equivalent to big blinds when it's your turn, right? But um, but it went a lot faster, as it always does in the tournaments. I mean, it's just one of the greatest things to have in a poker. Um, and then uh, something I hadn't seen, because I, I don't play a lot in, in, in casinos now, uh, because when I travel, uh, but Elliot Schechter, our, our call-the-floor guru and director of poker at Hollywood, um, Toledo, was, was uh, part of our staff this time. And um, 
what he introduced us to is when it gets down to five-handed at the end of the tournament. Not five-handed at a table, but five-handed at the final table. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Then the big blind ante becomes the small blind uh, value, not the big blind value, which makes perfect sense because now you yeah, got half as many half, players. Right? Yeah, half players. So yeah. now you're you're doing a true ante, and that was one of the criticisms from the beginning from players. There weren't a lot, but there was a couple, and that was one of them. Uh, the other one, too, I think, was that uh, when you only have enough money to cover um, one, you know, the, the blinds or the antes, um, what it used to be is you were only in for the antes, so you could only win. You get just essentially get your money back, right? Right. Um, and, and players really didn't like that, and I get it. Um, so philosophically, that's the way it should be, but but rooms have, have come around to the fact that it's more player-friendly to switch it. So now... Um, you're in for the big blind first, so that way you can triple up, quadruple up, double up, whatever. Right. On that, uh, which makes it a little bit better. So those those are two adjustments that I've seen and that, that we used uh, on the crews here, and everybody seemed to like it. So pretty cool. Very cool. All right, and to remind you, we have two more uh, NAF cruises coming up uh, this year, and hopefully within the next month or so. So uh, month or so, <laughs> we will have our 2020 schedule to share with you. But coming up the, this year in uh, early August, we're doing a four-night sailing to the Bahamas out of Port Canaveral near Orlando. And then uh, over Halloween, we'll be doing an eight-night Southern Caribbean adventure, going to some really cool ports. And even though it's eight nights, it leaves on a Saturday, gets back on a Sunday. So really, you're only taking five days off work if you come join us for that one. Sweet. Uh, um, obviously, passengers, we always say on all sailings, get a one-month uh, membership to advanced poker training. Quick reference, poker, poker Odds card from the gamblingschool.com, as well as card cover from the Poker Depot. And all the details can be found at antiupmagazine.com slash cruise. Very cool. Hey, I'm very excited about this next thing. I don't know why, but uh, I'm going to read it for you because it looks like you want right. to add something to the file there. Uh, grinders from the Keystone State don't have to uh, long that long to wait before they get to play online poker. Uh, as the state's gaming control board has told the 10 licensees that Games can begin on July 15th in Pennsylvania. Since the state wants to be sure that it's complying with the Wire Act, it will likely take far longer before we see Pennsylvania share its players with New Jersey, West Virginia, Nevada, and Delaware. But nonetheless, they can start playing in just a few months. So the reason why I like this is because Pennsylvania is really close to Washington. Um, I know that so is Delaware and all that, but but it's a big state. Big state, yep. You know, it's a big state. They got... They have poker rooms on both sides of the state, of Western and Eastern PA, you know, nice rooms. And so I really feel like this could be one of the ones that starts to tip it. I don't know why. I just got this weird feeling that if Pennsylvania really is is successful, that it could be the next thing. Now you've got that whole Eastern corridor up there, Northeastern. You know what I mean? It just, it just feels like this could be the one that helps us. I don't know if I'm just uh, – maybe it's the – the hash browns from Waffle House making me optimistic for the first time ever, but I don't know. I feel like this is a good move for us. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously we were a little concerned that as soon as uh, Pennsylvania uh, passed this, uh, came that revision of the Wire Act, as we're calling it now. Didn't know what that was going to mean, but uh, they are uh, at least chugging forward on doing what they can within their own borders, and then uh, we'll, we'll see how long it takes to, to work out, and hopefully it will work out. Uh, the shared player liquidity with the rest, but um, but yeah, every time we get one of these big states on board, it just makes it a little easier. And there, as we mentioned, ten licensees, so um, not so sure. I'm not in, entirely sure yet whether all of them are going to be offering poker, but uh, if they do, that's fantastic. 
and uh, just a big jump start here. So hopefully this will help uh, get a couple other big states on and go from there. Yes, very good. Very exciting. And particularly, it also helps when it's bordering big states, too. Like, you know, now now it's a little bit more pressure on New York because now they have both Pennsylvania and New Jersey surrounding them. And, um, you know, that's that's what we've always seen in the growth of casino gambling um, across the country has always been because uh, states hate to see their uh, residents cross the border and take that money with them, right? Yeah. So it's the same way for, for online as well, too. So that this should put a little more pressure on New York, and New York would be a fantastically huge state, obviously, to have that. And uh, then we really got some momentum going, um, as long as this Wirac thing doesn't trip us up. So That's it. That's the key. I think this is it. The Keystone State, it's got a Keystone for a reason. And definitely, uh, hopefully, uh, our listeners in Pennsylvania will let us know how it goes once it launches. And so cause it's one thing we can't check out, you know, unless yeah. we're actually in the state. So. Yeah. All right, so I saw this while we're cruising, and uh, I know uh, anytime I have a rounders item on here, it, it yeah, I got you hooked. So, um, <laughs> but I, I did kind of like the premise of this, but I got some interesting things to talk about. I'm sure you probably do too, as well, too. Uh, but Paul Seaton from Poker News wrote an interesting article um, about five ways the the seminal poker movie Rounders tells lessons that are still current today, even though boy, that was out twenty some years ago, right? Yeah, 20? yeah. Um, so here are the five that he mentioned. Uh, one, uh, that Joey Kanish uh, preaching the importance of bankroll management. Uh, two, the judges game reminding us how much fun it is to play the player, not the cards. Three, the Atlantic City scene showing us there's always a sucker at the table, and sometimes it's us. Uh, four, Worm reminding us that no matter how hard we try to put the best shine on the game we love, cheats and dishonest players and companies persist. And finally, number five, Teddy KGB's goading that has manifested itself in Twitter prop bets and trash talking. <laughs> oh, that's interesting. I mean, I, I suppose that you could apply a lot of this to the Cincinnati Kid or, you know, any any poker movie that remotely tried to take itself seriously um, tries to show you the way of life of poker players, and then so that way of life would then reflect lessons from life and the game so but yeah i mean i guess a bankroll manager's always going to be you know that's going to be uh evergreen that's never going to get stale that's always the rule of of anything that you're doing in life so but yeah i thought it was interesting it's, it's a nice little read well i'll say this uh a little contrary to what you, you said um i i'm hard pressed to find another movie that has done all these five things um you know, obviously Cincinnati Kids, the the other great poker movie out there, and of course there's other ones. Um, I don't think they all. I don't think that movie or any of the other ones out there touch on all five of these things. Now maybe they touch on other things that are still current. Um, you need to take some time actually to really think about it, I guess. But um, I think it, it, it's interesting. Now, of course, you can look at it under a bigger and bigger, bigger microscope and probably find five things in any movie. Uh, but these things are all very real, I think, uh, and held up well for 20 years. Um, and uh, the movie's not as cartoonish as maybe, like, say, a Cincinnati Kid um, or you know, um, you know, the James the Maverick or anything like that, where yeah, you yeah. kind of more Hollywoody, right? I mean, I think the more you watch Rounders, you realize that it's really grounded in reality, and there wasn't a lot of Hollywood put into it. So, I agree. Uh, I agree. I mean, you know, there is. I think there are lessons to be taken from most of those movies that you mentioned too. That just, and that they're they're basic tenets of life that are right. mingled in there or whatever. But yeah, I think 
I think Rounders which was much more rooted in reality, and uh, I I don't know. I I appreciated the the judges scene that they talk about that really hit home because you read it, uh, and when you read Super System or something where you learn about you're playing the player, not the cards most of the time, and you want to know how they play, so it doesn't matter what you have and that kind of thing. But then when you see it put to use, you know, like a workshop almost, where he explains it as he's breaking the people down. That's really a, a remarkable scene that, you know, obviously that's still, but that's always been true. You know, we just didn't know as crappy poker players until we picked up that book or really got into it as a living that we didn't know about these things. But then once you figure out, you know, somebody, what's that uh, Joey Kinnish's line about, you know, he, he put together the playbook or the, his bad beats so that you wouldn't have yeah. to, you know, same kind of thing here, you know, when they make Super System or when they make a movie like this, you know, they, they're explaining all the things to you. Uh, that you didn't really know, and now you kind of know it. The Teddy KGB thing, though, that's kind of confusing me. Tell me a little bit more about what he means by that. Well, I think it's just the uh, stick it in you, which I, I used yeah. all, all cruise log, which is fun. <laughs> uh, I mean, often uh, Herb and Ramsey were sticking it in me, but every time I had a chance to say it, I said it back. But, um, but I think that's what it is. It's it's just that that uh, poker, uh, a fun poker game. You got players trash talking. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, Teddy KJB's games with Mike McDermott were not fun for anybody, <laughs> I don't think. But, but it was the fact that you know that that's part of the game now is is, is trash talking, and um, you know I, I might have extrapolated too much by saying the Twitter prop bets there, but uh, that's part of it. You know, well now you've got this kind of atmosphere where like, oh, but you can't do that. Oh yeah, how much you were you willing to bet that I can't do that? Um, so yeah, I, I think that. It, it, it's funny looking at it from this uh, viewpoint that you can kind of see um, how they how much they covered the entire world of poker in one movie, which is really hard to do, I think. Yeah, and, uh, and make it interesting where you're not falling asleep. Exactly, and also not uh, Hollywoody. I mean, I, I would say the one thing the judges game is the one where I think they pushed it a little too much for me. Uh, but for an outside person, they probably wouldn't um, notice. But you know, we, we've kind of joked before how he just walks in and all of a sudden. He's been there for four seconds and knows everybody's hand. <laughs> yeah, yeah. For one thing, that's not really how it's gonna how it works. But for expediency, they had to do it that way. But the rest, I think, uh, weren't in there um, for expediency. I mean, the Joey Kanish lines were great on that. I think uh, certainly the Atlantic City scene was classic. Uh, how sharks eat up fish, right? You, know, yeah, you see yeah. that all the time. Um, of course, Worm is a character study, so there's no real one scene there, but. Um, but it is that 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 struggle between Mike McDermott wanting to do it on the on the, on the up and yeah. the worm and saying oh, why 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 would you do it on the up and up? There was an edge to take take it right. Um, and then of course you can you can really um, expand the Teddy KGB RV one. So I mean, you know I think he probably took a little too much liberty on the goading as I am too. But it it makes sense though if you think about it. So, but just another reminder of just how how wonderful that movie was and. How um, unfortunately, uh, Bad Rounders Two will be whenever it's made because uh, it's not one of those movies I think you can improve on. I, I, maybe I'm wrong, but uh, you know. And the other thing too is, uh, from now on, I think on the show, whenever we report one of those news items where a game was raided or a guy was found cheating or held up somebody or broke into the cage and got shot dead, we're just going to call it, you know, the worm. Uh, segment or something because that's basically it. I mean, every once in a while on the show, we'll be reminded that there's worms out there. 
Yeah, that's right. You know, just trying to make us all into turds when we're trying to shine like a diamond. So, well, and you think about it, if you even want to do percentages here, I mean, this guy picked five. I mean, maybe that's an easy number to come up with. Maybe he could have done ten, maybe. Right, right. Well, of the five, one is bad. So 20% of the game is, and that's probably a probably a fair number, I would say. Yeah, maybe a little high, but yeah, yeah. That's, yeah. All right, any updates? Here's where the Annie Up Poker Tour is going next. The Annie Up World Championship and Annie Up NorCal Classic at Thunder Valley Casino Resort near Sacramento, California, July 6th to the 28th. Atlantis Casino Resort and Spa in Reno, Nevada, August 15th to the 25th. Hamul Casino near San Diego, September 20th to the 29th. And Wild Horse Pass Hotel and Casino near Phoenix, November 11th to the 16th. Also, uh, we love hearing from our fans, so if you have a hand of the week, a listener spotlight, or a call to floor submission, email us at podcast.antiupmagazine.com or post it in the Antiup Fans group on Facebook. Each week we spotlight a listener who emails us, and if they haven't won something from us in the past year, just like we do with Call the Floor and Hand of the Week, we send them something cool. comes from that great actor, Steven Seagal. <laughs> he says, here is a new amazing hybrid game that was invented at our home game. All right, you got to help me with this. Badoogie-ha, right? Does that sound right? Hey, I'm the one that mangles the words. So All right, so Badoogie-ha. Uh, he says, while this won't be a bracelet game in 2019, I suspect by 2022 it will be. I think that's firm, tongue firmly in cheek. But uh, this is a split pot game with half going to the best Omaha hand and the other half the best four-car Badoogie hand. You're dealt four cards and do the usual pre-flop stuff. After the flop, you get to exchange up to four cards, and then you get the turn and river. Your Badoogie hand must come from only your whole cards, only four-card Badoogies count, and the Omaha is Omaha rules. It's a very fun, very action-y game. Yeah, I got to tell you, somebody calls this in our game, I'm sitting out. <laughs> I think everybody listening knew you were going to say that. So. I mean, seriously, uh, the Badoogie hand, so you get a Badoogie dealt to you, you're not going to draw, so they all know you have a Badoogie, so you're probably only going for half the pot. Uh, if there is no Badoogie hand, which is very likely, then Omaha scoops it. So I would strictly just play Omaha hands and then hope that my Omaha hand is like, you know, ace-king, ace-jack, or ace-jack-ten, and then I just happen to scoop the pot. You know, I just can't see myself playing this game and actually drawing. I mean, unless I'm in the blinds and it didn't cost me anything and I got nothing to start, I don't think I'll ever draw if I actually enter a pot in this game. Very rarely, I think. Hmm. Well, I would say here, uh, I like the fact that they added the rule only four card Badoogies count. Uh, I think that adds a lot of strategy to it now, right? So um, it's very rare you're dealt a four card Badoogie. Um, usually that's why it's, the game's triple draw normally, right? So try to get down. Even with three draws, you almost never get a four card Badoogie. Um, so I think it's going to be pretty rare that you have it. So I would say if I'm dealt a four card Badoogie, I don't care what four cards they are. I'm I'm standing pat there. Right. And you're, they're going to know that I do, but that's all right. Let them draw and try to get it because the odds are way in my favor that they're going to miss their draw and, and I have hopefully half the pot, right? Um, and then Omaha, can, those hands can go crazy with Omaha. Now, I noticed he didn't say Omaha 8. Um, yeah, I was going to think that too. Maybe that's probably. the other interesting thing here because the best Badoogie hands are low. Um, so if you're playing Omaha 8, then that would make more sense, but take a little more of the fun out of it, I think. So the fact that you're playing a high and a low, but two different types, that's what I think is interesting about it. But so, then you get like, how do you do that? Because there's a Badoogie hand, a low hand, and an Omaha. Now you got three hands. 
No, that's what I'm saying. You it, it, you couldn't. I don't think. I mean, oh I yeah, you, you couldn't. Could, okay, and okay. you could do anything, but but it's better this way. But so I guess that's what I'm saying. If I get a four card Badugi, and even if it might be a horrible Omaha hand, it still has Omaha value. You know, depending on what comes on the board. So um, it's still possible that you're going to. Um, is it, is it scoop there? Let, let me ask you a question. If we did have three pots, would you be thirded? Oh yeah, because quartered is a word. So why isn't thirded? <laughs> yeah. Oh, I got thirded. <laughs> yeah, I, I could see that. You you would need to have the uh, um, ibuprofen bottle. <laughs> <laughs> it just sounds I'm dirty. Doesn't it sound dirty? Oh <laughs> man, he got thirded. <laughs> I think he thirded his pants. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, I, I wonder how much they've adjusted this game from playing, right? Um, I, I, I might guess that the four-card Badoogie came in after they played a while and, and saw that it made it better that way. Maybe not. Maybe they knew that from the beginning. Uh, the other thing I'm interested in is the draw comes after the flop rather than before the flop. Yeah, and the other thing, too, I made a mistake when thinking that if you stay in pat, you automatically have a Badoogie because you could just flop top boat and not draw because you want to make sure you know yeah, you. That's true. So yeah, I guess yeah. it's not exactly true. So um, maybe that that maybe that proved the question I had then because then then you've got a little more uh, misdirection you can do there. But to me, I think it's a little too easy to draw when you've already seen the flop because if you completely miss that flop and you don't have a Badoogie, then I'm getting rid of all the cards and rolling the dice, and that's a little I don't want to say unfair, but it, it's unfair if you if you have a strong hand at that point because now people have a lot of options to to beat you lots of different ways. Now I think it might be a little bit different if you get your hand. You do the flop betting, and then before the flop comes out is when you do your discards. Um, that way you're playing more to the strength of the hand. I think that adds more skill to it, doesn't it? Uh, yeah, I, I get, or a little more guessing, too. I was just thinking, too, that if you if you flop a really big hand with just two of your cards and you have three to a really good Badoogie, like if you have ace, deuce, you know, king, nine, and then you have, you know... The nine, four to the nine, Badoogie, and the king isn't used because you flopped the wheel or something. You could throw away that one card and still draw. So there are opportunities to draw for Badoogies while not hurting your Oma hand, I guess. So, yeah, it's a lot more. The more we talk about it, the more interesting it is. Maybe I would play it. Now. Yeah. Well, again, that's what I'm saying. But if you draw beforehand, I mean, now, now your skill in understanding what a good Omaha hand is versus the player next to you who doesn't have that same skill, that's where the, the skill separate. You know, once you have a flop out there, then and it's much you're you're narrowing that that distance, right? Yeah. Uh, because now anybody can look at the hand. I'm like, all right, do I have a hand that works? Nope. Then I have to. Doesn't matter how good I am at the game. I, if I missed everything, then I have to draw, right? Right. Or if you do it beforehand, now now you've you now you're balancing the the value of the badugi versus the strength of your hand. I mean, you might have you might break up a pair. Uh, they go for a Badoogie because, you know, pairs get you in trouble in Omaha, and then, of course, the flop comes, and it would have been a set, and at that point, you wouldn't have, right? So, I don't know. I, I'll be interested to hear if uh, Steve Price is back and asks, uh, tells us whether they had that discussion or not, or yeah. if they have, and if they try it out and see whether they like it better or not. I, I assume once you start a game like this, you don't want to tinker with it too much because you get used to it, but... But it's really cool, <laughs> and it's fun. I don't know if he's serious about the whole 2022 thing. I think he's joking around, but... But uh, you never know. Some games, that's how they, you know, there was a Chinese hey, poker bracelet, right? We were laughing about short deck last year. That's and right. This year, right? That's so. right. So you never know. Of course, that, was a, that wasn't a home game invention, I don't think. So that's, but. Oh, uh, I'm sure it was at some point. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. 
Uh, we get to complete O'Malley's move today. Always my favorite uh, part of the show. So here we come. Here comes part one. We'll see you on the other side. Welcome to another O'Malley's Move. I'm Malcolm O'Malley. This week we've talked one of our weaker home games into playing PLO8. They've grasped the concept of PLO, but haven't quite felt comfortable taking the next step. Until tonight. The game is six-handed, and we are one of two players who have somewhat of a grasp on this game. We play quarter 50 cent. The blinds post, the under the gun calls, the plus one calls, it's folded to the small blind who calls, and we're in the big blind with $200 and the ace of spades, king of hearts, four of spades, tray of clubs. We make it $2 to go. The under the gun and plus one call, but the small blind folds. The under the gun is a calling station who plays way too many hands, although he isn't very aggressive with them. He will not let go of many hands at all. He starts this hand with $100. The plus one somewhat mirrors the end of the gun, however, he can get a little aggressive if he feels it's appropriate. He has 125. The pot is 650 and the flop is intriguing. The ace of diamonds, king of clubs, deuce of spades comes down. Since we're first to act, I feel like we're in really good shape here. We have top two, a backdoor nut flush draw and a nut low draw to the wheel. We bet pot. Both players call quickly. The pot is now at 1950, and the turn makes it even more juicy. The ten of spades comes. We just added the nut flush draw to go along with our top two and nut low draw. We lead out for pot. Both players again call quickly. There's 5850 in the pot, and the river is the four of hearts. So, we've got top two pair and action stands on us. With two calling stations to act behind us, are we giving up here? Are we going to try to blow them off the hand? Or are we value betting the best hand? What's the move? All right, we had all kinds of outs to a monster hand, but missed all of them against two calling stations. I'd be very interested to hear the rationale for betting again here. Now that a low got there and ours didn't, I'll likely call a reasonable bet uh, to see if my two pair is good, but I'm not going to just give money away here. Yeah, check call is re- if it's reasonable. Um, you know, people usually stick around for lows, and calling stations don't fold. So what's the point of really betting at yourself? And if the bet's too big, I'm folding. So I think that's the right move. Uh, here comes part two. Hello again. There's not much to like about this spot. I don't like that we're against two calling stations. I don't like bluffing in PLO8. I don't like bluffing into more than one opponent in PLO8. We check. The end of the gun checks quickly, but the plus one makes it 58.50 to go. We fold. The end of the gun calls and announces, I've got the low, while turning over the ace of hearts, nine of hearts, nine of clubs, tray of hearts. We inform him he does not in fact have the low. He's got a high of aces with a nine kicker. We then watch as the plus one tables the ace of clubs, jack of spades, five of clubs, tray of diamonds, for the nut low, the wheel, and the entire pot. Until next time, I'm Malcolm O'Malley saying sometimes playing PLO8 against inexperienced players can be very profitable, but sometimes it can be oh so frustrating. I hope to see you on the felt. All right, I agree with O'Malley. Uh, Omaha 8 is a very dangerous game with really good or really new players, and if you have both in the game, that makes it really difficult to play. So, <laughs> Seems weird to say this, but good check fold. You know, It, it seemed pretty <laughs> obvious, but it's always good to keep your head about you when crazy things are going on so uh well yeah i I think there's a little um 
restraint uh, that you had to have here, right? Because he had been leading out the whole way. At that point, you get invested in the pot, right? Yeah. Uh, and then sometimes you get blinders on you that, like, well, maybe my two pair is still good, even though I missed my low. And two pair is almost never good, right? <laughs> so, right. and there's a scenario where it certainly wasn't. So, um, and that's the other thing too uh, that that I like about Omaha is that that even if you don't have low cards, you know, you look at the the cards on the board and you can kind of figure out what people might be sticking uh, in with. So, you know, when the river came down, now if people are sticking in with a low, what do they have that's good? Well, it would be the wheel. All right. And if they have the wheel, that means our two pairs not good, right? Yeah, that's right. That, that's Once you get to that point where you really understand that, and that seems kind of basic, but I think a lot of people miss that that concept. Once you get that down, then Omaha becomes a lot easier because now you can look at it and like, okay, you know, not willing to put money in. It's already a bad idea to throw money in for half the pot to begin with without the nuts. And um, here's a scenario where the low probably means uh, that you don't have the high. So, yeah. Yep. Good move, O'Malley. Yeah. All right. Cool. All right. It's time for the advancedpokertrain.com hand of the week. Send your hands or situations to podcast at andyatmagazine.com. If you haven't won something from us in the past year, you get a free membership to Advanced Poker Training, the world's number one poker training site. Adam Burgoyne back in the house, Chris. I'm going to go on a limb here and say after 10 years, we should finally know how to say this guy's name. So I'm going to say it's really Adam Bergen. Bergen. All right. That's what I'm going to say. I think he may have actually given us some sort of phonetically spelled out way to say it once before, and we just keep murdering it for the fun of the show. But I'm going to say it's Adam Bergen. Okay. Well, whether it is or not, that's what he's going to be called for the rest of the time on the show. So. Okay. Don't call him Bougroin, because that's not funny. <laughs> it's very close to that. If you swap that G and that R, it's Bougroin. But don't call him that. It's Bergen. All right. Bergen, Bergen, Bergen. Bergen, Bergen. Cheese on that. Cheese on that. Sorry. <laughs> All right, he's playing one to no limit at MGM. I assume in Springfield, that's where he's been playing a lot lately. Okay. Uh, I was at a table that had a few solid regulars, one of whom, uh, who is the villain of his hand. He says, I'm pretty certain plays professionally. I had bought in for 200 and at this stage was up over 800 after punishing a drunk calling station. I'm going to get that money back from you too, Adam. <laughs> uh, hitting quads after going all in uh, when I hit my set and rivered the quads and a couple other large pots. I was willing to gamble within reason. Um, he says, uh, when this hand came up, I was in the big blind. The villain was on the button. There's a $15 raise from early position. Uh, that's how a solid player who knows when to press and when to let it go. The villain, again, who's on the button calls. It folds to us in the big blind with the king of clubs, king of diamonds. Shove. <laughs> um, I like to make a decent raise here. It's, it's not too bad. If they all fold and you'll make some money, you can get in a lot of trouble with kings, and you can certainly get in a lot of trouble out of position with kings. So I don't mind raising enough here to get them to to fold or at least get me heads up and then C-bet my ass off and hope I take it down. I I don't mind doing that. So I'm just saying uh, if I'm in a game that I'm fairly just sat down at, I don't mind just trying to plow through this hand and move on to the next one. Um, but you know, there are ways you could play it, but me, it's going to be a, a pretty decent raise so that if I get a caller, you know, it's going to be one caller. So I don't know what that raise is. Uh, what was it? There's a raise to what? 15 uh, or 10? 15. Yeah. I don't know. I'm going to make it something big, like 50 or something. I don't know. 60. I don't know. 50, 60 something. I just, I'm just going to want to make sure that these guys are really going to want to play me. And then no ways comes on that flop. Um, I'm not jamming, but I'm I'm making it a big bet. You're ramming. I'm ramming. 
No, I like that. Yep, I think you need isolate here. I don't want any draws coming along, so I'm happy to kind of overbet, as, as you mentioned. Um, and if we get down to heads up, that's great. And if we win, then, you know, hey, at least uh, we don't lose our stack when an ace comes, right? Right. Which happens all the time, so should be happy with that win. So, uh, yeah, I think 50 sounds good. So, let's see what happens. Um, our hero uh, raises to 55. All right, so close. Okay. Original Razor Folds, and the button calls fairly quickly. Flop is the Four of Clubs, Ten of Hearts, Eight of Diamonds, and again, we're your first act. Okay, well, we talked about what we were going to do. We got one call, which is what we wanted. We know we're first to act. It's about 120 in the pot now after the other guy is in hand, so maybe 110. So, I I mean, I'm just going to bet. I'm going to bet a bunch. I'm going to bet like 80 or 90 because all unders, no real draws, rainbow, Guy called pretty quickly, so it's hard to imagine he's set mining with five, you know, four four or whatever to call him fifty five dollars to set mine. He could, but do it quickly. You know, who calls quickly with four four eight eight? You know, ten ten. They actually have a thought too. You know, they're not just going to automatically pull the trigger on it. So I don't know. I like this flop. If I'm being honest, I mean, it's end of the week, so you never know what's going to happen. Sure. Um, but I'm gonna I'm gonna bet I'm gonna bet like eighty eighty five something like that. Yeah, with the exception of a king being on the flop, this is a beautiful flop. I mean, it's all over the place as you mentioned. Uh, the ten eight draws there are are hard to imagine being out there. So, um, you know, unless we're up against aces, we're we're pretty darn good. Um, or the the set, but you know, you can't ever be worried about that um, to the point that you don't play your hand properly. So, yeah, I'm betting big as well too. So. Um, all right. Uh, Hero says, I think for a minute about whether to bet and possibly scare off the button or check and look fishy. I decide looking fishy is the way to go, as he may try to bet without the best hand. I think if he has aces or even ace-king, he would have raised preflop. And I have ace-king crushed. I check. Oh. Yeah. Oh. I think it comes from this, but... Uh, our opponent bets 70. Um... If you're playing the way Adam wants this to go, that's what he wanted. So now you can, if you shove on him or do some sort of re-raise, then it's gonna that's gonna really look fishy, and then you're not gonna get any more money out of him if he doesn't have you beat. If he has you beat, then you're you're in trouble no matter what you do. So you're losing your money. So this is why I don't like to get tricky because this is one more decision we have to make that we didn't have to make if we just bet like we're supposed to. Yeah. I'd feel so much more comfortable if I had bet that 70 and put it to him. And then if he comes over the top for whatever, then you make your decision. Then you're done with the hand. Either you, you, either you fold or you're done with the hand because you're going all in. So now it's sort of like, oh, now I've put myself in this spot. Now now you're going to second guess. You're going to say, oh, well, maybe he did outflop me. Maybe he does have aces. Now i got to think about calling that 70. Or do I make it 200? You know, And that's my whole stack. So now i got to shove. It just doesn't make sense to me. You know, to not bet out. You took control of this hand with a big re-raise, and you're out of position. So nobody, nobody's going to think that you did that with nines and you're afraid of that ten. So I just don't see the value of checking here, unless you knew this is one of those players that loves to bet and you get more money out of him, or couldn't fold, and you knew you had a lock on his hand and you could bet him and raise him and get more money out of him. In my situation, usually when somebody is is betting that much and calling that much, you know, I don't know, maybe he has aces, but it seems weird that he wouldn't have raised you again 
preflop hoping that you had kings and you get it all in. So right. I don't know. I, I I guess I'm gonna. I don't know. He's playing it passively, so maybe you just call and check again and just hope no ace comes. I don't know. This is a weird. I hate being put in their situations. You know what I mean? I'd rather just be in my own situation in these hands of the week and see how we do. This is why you need to go to advanced poker training because you can try all these situations out and just see how bad of an idea it is to check here pre-flop. I mean, uh, post-flop. So, I don't know. I guess I'll call. Yeah, I, I think here's a couple of things. I mean, yeah, you're right. Uh, we we really kind of got lost by not betting here. So, um, if we check raise, as you mentioned, it's going to look a little fishy. And then also, now we're going to keep up the aggression on the next street, which we probably should do anyhow. But, you know, if it's an ace, then that puts us in a tougher spot. Um, other thing too, is if one of the things that we were wondering about, uh, not concerned about, but wondering about was a set. And I don't think a set's going to bet here. Right. Yeah. I think he's going to let us take another, take a stab at it on the turn. If he's got a set, cause there's no real danger out here. So, um, so I, I'm going to fairly confidently eliminate sets from there, which means that, uh, I think we have the best hand here because aces would have, should have raised this preflop, um, or even, raise the other guy first before it even got to us. So yeah. uh, at this point, I feel pretty good. So now I think I'm going to do a little trapping here. I'm just going to call. Um, I might check the turn again and see if he will probably check behind at that point, uh, which is dangerous. But um, that's kind of the mistake we made by, by not betting here. So we've got to fade that um, turn and river card and hope it holds up. But uh, I think the only thing we can really do here is call. So. If we call and an ace comes on the turn, I'm going to lose my Waffle House special all over my keyboard. <laughs> so, by the way, we're not getting paid by Waffle House to keep mentioning them, by the way. So, just so you know. Well, here's the thing. If an ace comes, and, we, and we're fairly confident he has an ace, which is a very strong possibility here, the way Adam played it actually saves his money, I think, right? Because we would have bet our seven ace, I'd say that, calls. Now that ace comes, we can't slow down on that ace. Now we got to represent that ace, and now we get raised. Then, so it, the way he played it here, now we call. Uh, ace comes on the turn, we check, and he bets, and then we can safely fold if that's if we feel really confident he has the ace. So uh, it's not a reason to play it this way, but it's just a benefit of <laughs> playing it a different way than we would have. So, yeah. oh, you know, the other thing too is the ace comes now. If this guy really doesn't have anything better than kings, now you can represent. Anyway, you know, I mean, you have to be afraid of it. It's it's weird. It's it's a weird thing. You really have to play the player here, and not just, yeah. you know, that ace might make him think that, you know, he, he you're scared or something. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what to think here. This is a weird hand now. I would just bet out. I don't know why. Now we're playing catch up and playing behind. So, uh, all right. So we call, right? He called. Uh, yes, okay. we call, and we go to the turn. Which is the four of hearts, or before now it's four of clubs, ten of hearts, eight of diamonds, four of hearts, and we are first to act again. Yeah, I, I don't know. Uh, I can't imagine this guy has a four in his hand. And we still, you and I still think we had the best hand, so yeah. I don't see any reason not to bet now. A second heart's on the board. Well, no, yeah, that's right, second heart, yeah. So you know, that's a um, major in yeah. checking time, but um, at least we don't have to worry about straights, I don't think, getting there. Um,. I don't know. I, I think it's a fairly good card. I mean, it would be nice if it was the four of spades instead of the hearts. But yeah, um, there's like 250 well, in the pot here. I really think we need to bet like 100. Yeah. See, I think the way we played it, though, we got to check and, and take our chances that he uh, 
doesn't check behind and catch up to us. I think that that's the problem with the way we played it. But yeah. I think betting now, I mean, can he, he can't put us on a four, right? Because we're from the big blind and we raised it to 55 pre-flop. So, you know, at that point, maybe now he's got to think whether we have the hand we have or something like that and just didn't play it correctly, right? Uh, I, I think betting is just kind of all kinds of weird here. So I think I got to check, check call. And if the river is pretty safe, then, then I can bet at that point. But if you check and he shoves, you're calling. Because if that's true, then why not bet? Because maybe you get a better hand to fold. Maybe he does something. Maybe he spooks well, out but or I something. Mean, if he's shoving light, then 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 we induced him to bet, right? Mm. Whereas bet now, I mean, now he's got to wonder why we're betting now. Um, and it could be that he thinks we're just bad and and betting now. Or it could be he runs through and like, okay, maybe this guy did have a big hand and was slow playing. And now coming alive because two hearts are on board. Yeah, he flopped a set of tens and then turned a boat. No, you know why would he yeah. bet again? So that doesn't make sense either. I I don't know. I uh, I still think for some reason I would bet here. I got this weird feeling. I, I think about a fairly it. good player is going to sniff this out if we bet. So I mean, again, I, I don't like checking here and 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 giving that option of a free card. But I think that's the way we set this hand up by checking on the flop when we should have bet. It feels so. like jacks. It feels like it's the type of hand where he didn't really raise preflop with it. He just wanted to set mine with it, but now it's over the tens, and we check check to him, so he thinks we have ace king. So he felt his jacks were good and bet. Yeah. Feels almost like that, but at the same time, I really think jacks might have raised preflop. Um, and I think jacks, if we had it, would be a strong hand as well. I mean, yeah. obviously, I like kings better than jacks, so I mean that that was going to have the same effect on him unless he just happens to have queens. That would be the only hand. But again, queens doesn't make sense either, does it? Right? Because mm-hmm. no. raise preflop. Raised pre-flop yeah. So, um, so it really does seem like some kind of ace something to me here. All and right, could be ace ten. I don't think he's going to call ace ten preflop fifty five bucks. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, probably not. I mean, he had position, so could be suited. That's the hand. That that's the thing is what hand makes that call preflop. You know, in this type of game, it's a one two game, I guess, or one three or something. I mean, to me, who makes that call preflop that hits this board? And doesn't raise if it beats us. Doesn't raise preflop. You know what I mean? So ace-ace not raise. There's no way ace-ace doesn't raise. So what hand is capable of calling a $55 preflop raise bet, even though he's in position? Usually these one-two games, they're not playing like it's the, you know, the 100-200 game, at, you know, on TV. It's This is, you know, one-two is pretty basic stuff. So who's calling 55 preflop? doesn't raise with the hand that's good enough to call preflop and then when we check and make it look fishy bets into us on a four ten eight rainbow i just i don't know what that hand is i'm really kind of perplexed but this is why i would have bet out get more answers all right well here was going to try to get some answers here because he bets 85 dollars he says thinking admittedly incorrectly that this will make him want to call considering it's about a quarter pot and he's already committed a bunch of money instead he raises to 200 I can't think it's a set, though. Why would he have bet the flop? And if it's aces, why wouldn't he have raised pre-flop and then re-raise when we raise? I just don't get it. I, I don't know what to do. I, I don't think I can let this hand go. I think I'm just... He only had a little bit to start, didn't he? He only had, like, 300 or whatever. No. Uh, what, our opponent or us? Oh, no. Yeah, the opponent. What did he have? Do you know? Uh, it doesn't appear that he said, so I don't All know. Right. So right. That does make a difference. Well, if he, yeah, if he had, like, 50 bucks left or something, he might as well just shove it. 
Um, I just don't think I can, I, I'm good enough to let this hand go. I can't, if I can't figure it out at all, a hand that makes sense, I got to call, right? If you, if you can't figure it out, it doesn't mean you fold. If you, if, if every hand that you think right. beats you doesn't make sense, then you call. So to me, I've got to call or shove here, I, whatever, whatever he has left. If it's nominal, I'm just shoving because I might as well, you know, it's going in on the river anyway. Uh, yeah, I can't put him on a hand that has this beat here that makes any kind of sense at all. So, um, I guess in that sense, then we should raise here. But um, all that being said, I can't put him on any hand. I don't. I really don't know what he has at all. So, you know, I think I would have to call down. But I, I really do think we're we're ahead. I just I can't think of anything played correctly that that we're behind here. Yeah. Um, all right, our hero says, like, tank and tank and tank. In my mind at the time, I'm thinking, uh, what if he has 10s? What do you have 4-bet? Probably not. What do you have 3-bet? Very likely. I was convinced a 4 was impossible, but I don't think he would have called a 3-bet preflop with a pair of 4s. Possibly 8s, but unlikely. I talked myself into him having 10s, uh, despite me seeing him 3-bet in position with similar holdings, and I let my kings go. Wow. Later on, I asked him if he had me, and he said possibly, but not likely. Uh, now that I saw his reaction, I'm almost certain he had something like ace-10 and knew he could outplay me post-flop, which he did. He said, lay into me, guys. How poorly did I play this? Well, okay, so again, I think he played it pretty poorly. One, you probably bet the right amount pre-flop. Uh, you got your desired result. You, you could have maybe bet it a little bit more and then gotten him the fold. Who knows? Two... Um, when he bets out on you on that flop, why are you calling? I I just don't I don't see the reason to check a call. One, you have to bet. You took control of this hand, and it doesn't have to be. We always know it's fishy to check, which it was. But this guy didn't believe you. He thought it was the other way around. He thought you had ace king and missed, and so he bet into you like he was supposed to if he believed that was the read. But now you just call, which, you know what, that can be fine because then you're not playing with your cards face up. Obviously, if you shove on him there or re-raise him to 200, he's going to know you have an overpair and he's probably going to let it go, which would have worked great for you. You would have walked away with money. Yep. And then on the turn, right, now we bet into him and he raises. So at that point, you can't think he has 10s full because why wouldn't he just call and give you another street to bluff into him on or bet into him on, and then he takes all your money on the end instead of scaring you away with a boat there. So he he doesn't have a boat there. He has to have 110 or something under your kings. There's just no way, you know, a pair under, under that. So I just don't see how you can put him on a full house there knowing that he, there's no way he, he raises you on the turn unless he so, thinks you're so committed to your king, king, or ace, ace that you can't let your hand go, and he just is convinced that you won't fold whatever he bets. Um, but I think, yeah, I think the fold was bad, and I, not just because we know the result, because we sort of do, but just because if you play that story back, you're thinking to yourself, hey, why would a full house what, try to push me off there with another streak to come? He's not really afraid of a two-outer. You know, he's just not. So he'd be like, little Hollywood, call, and then hope on the river you shove, and then he says, insta-call, tens full. But 
there's just no way. And the fact that he says maybe, but highly unlikely, I mean, there's no other hand that you lose <laughs> to, you know, that he can say that about. So, yeah, it is odd that he called with Jack 10 or Ace 10 preflop. You know, it's an odd $55 call in position, but you did make it sound like he was a little more savvy, so maybe he was a, a pro who... Well, yeah, if we certainly gave him credit for being able to outplay us, that means he probably gave himself credit for being able to outplay us. And yeah. at that point, now you're calling that 55 all day long because, you know, you're going to – I mean, look at what happened. We got him – he got us the full pocket kings here. That, that's worth taking a flyer on a yeah, yeah. $43 raise every once in a while. Um, but you have to be really confident that you can be able to do that. So I think that's the real lesson here is um, is Adam giving off – those kind of uh, vibes that he can easily be outplayed uh, post-flop. And that's a tough thing to overcome if that's the case. Uh, well, yeah, sorry there. Uh, he, Adam Bergen, I'm going to go with that. <laughs> that. That was tough. That was tough to hear, and, and I'm sure it was even tougher for, to live through for you. Because, I mean, you, you don't get those hands that often, and you don't get those situations that often, and on both fronts you lost. So that sucks. You know, especially when you know you let go. And you have to fold the better hand once in a while. Otherwise, you're not playing right. right. But in this situation, you could have played it so much differently. I'm telling you, there's something to be said for just playing good ABC poker at the 1-2 level. Yes. You know, just C-bet it. And if the guy comes along, shove. You you got an overpair, and you can't put him on a hand that wouldn't have re-re-raised you pre-flop. That, you know what I mean? There's just no way. The only hand that beats you is Ace-Ace pre-flop, and he, he would have re-raised you then. You know, I, I just don't, I don't see any reason to not. Play. You're getting too tricky. You're, you cost yourself a pot there by being tricky with that check too. You yeah. know, just play, just play poker, play normal. And then when you when you feel really comfortable with the people around you and you can see that they'll, especially since you said this guy was kind of tough, you're getting tricky with a tough player. Just bet out and take the pot down. Be happy with the hundred. You know, that's the way I think about when I play. When I'm on the ship with our players, because that's hardly pretty much the only time I play now. That's all I'm doing. I'm just playing ABC with them. I'm not getting too tricky unless I really know the player because I play with them for five cruises or something. You know, just just take your money and go. Don't don't. I don't know. What's that saying, Scott? There's some saying about you know people trying to give you their money. Take it. You know. Yeah. So. Well, the other thing too in one two is you. I think your baseline should be that all the players in a one two game are one two players. Yeah. And are playing that way until they give you some indication that they're not. And in this case, had you had we called and found out that he did have a set here or whatever, now you know he's capable of doing that. So yeah, it sucks to lose that pot, but now now you've got a body of evidence for him going forward where these kind of decisions become a little easier. But otherwise, I'm just going to assume that one two player is a one two player and playing pretty straight. And if they're playing pretty straightforward here, we had them. We had this best hand here. Yeah, that's the other thing. Like you said, if you lose the money to a set, you've got some knowledge. But now you've lost almost all that same amount of money, and you don't have the knowledge because you don't know what he had. Don't know for sure. You yeah. don't know for sure. At least the other way you'd know for sure, and you'll get it back. I mean, he he sent in other hands before from MGM where he's making some good money on hands. So, I mean, he, he obviously will get the money back. But, yeah, just just consider that back of your mind. ABC poker unless needed, unless something else is needed, you know, at that level at least. Hey, I'm Chris Casenza. And I'm Scott Long. And we'll see you at the table. Anti-Up is a production of antiupmagazine.com. Contact the show at podcast at antiupmagazine.com or call our hotline at 206-338-6344. If you'd like to advertise, send an email to advertising at antiupmagazine.com 
or call 727-331-4335. Some music used in this episode comes courtesy of the Podsafe Music Network.